You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. Tonight, the Heat faced the Philadelphia 76ers. It was the first time that they had played the Sixers after a 27-point loss back on November 23rd when it was Jimmy Butler's first time in Philly after joining Miami in free agency. The Heat came back tonight to close out a three-game road trip, but the result, thankfully, was very, very different as Miami stormed back from a 12-point deficit midway through the second quarter and established a 16-point lead of their own behind the zone defense that was just sensational. But that lead was challenged up to the very last second of play, and the Heat still managed to hold on to win 108-104 to put Miami's record at 28-8, and and second in the Eastern Conference, and also hand Philadelphia their first loss at home. The close of the game was a ridiculous back and forth. With seven minutes left, a Kendrick Nunn three-pointer put Miami up 99-83. That's establishing the 16-point lead there. Things felt pretty good. Heat Twitter was getting a little cocky. It seemed like the lead was pretty insurmountable at that time. In fact, Philadelphia fans were even booing their team. They were just completely demoralized after having had that 12-point lead early on. But a Josh Richardson three-pointer capped a Sixers 8-0 run to cut the lead in half with just three minutes left. The crowd started getting energized, and the lead started to dwindle. The crowd got back into it. Momentum really started slipping away. And this had a feeling of so many Heat games over recent years where no lead was safe, and the eventual result would be a loss. But this was a little different. Tobias Harris would wind up making a three for Philadelphia, and Butler answered with a mid-range jumper of his own before Jay Rich hit another three-pointer, cutting the lead to just four with two minutes and 13 13 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And then Eric Spolstra brought in Derek Jones Jr. off the bench, and the move paid off immediately as he hit a three-pointer to put Miami up seven with a minute left. But Joel Embiid hit a shot to cut the lead to five, and then Bam Adebayo on the ensuing inbound play made a bad pass that Embiid stole and immediately laid up to cut the lead to just three with 47 seconds left. After a relatively quiet night for Embiid, he scored four points in under four seconds to make Miami really start to sweat. On the next possession, Jimmy Butler held the ball a little too long for my taste before eventually driving to the rim along the baseline, drawing a foul on Joel Embiid. The call was immediately challenged by Sixers head coach Brett Brown, and although it was pretty clear that there was some contact, there was a slight chance the call might have been overturned. Instead, the ruling stood... Philadelphia lost a timeout, and Jimmy Butler hit both free throws to push the lead back up to five. But then just seconds later, Harris hits another three-pointer, and Miami held on to just a two-point lead with 25 seconds left. Kendrick Dunn was then fouled by Richardson and sent to the line, but then Nunn, who had provided some incredible offense for most of the night, missed both free throws and giving Philadelphia a chance to tie or win it with the final possession. Al Horford wound up getting a really good look at the rim from three-point range, but the shot rimmed out. And Bam Adebayo held on to the rebound before getting fouled, and then he hit both free throws to preserve the win. It was a really, really gritty win that showed a lot of new wrinkles from the team, especially a great use of the zone defense to totally throw off the Sixers. Uh, Kendrick Nunn started off the game looking a little shaky, and I thought it would be very similar to what we had seen from him and Duncan Robinson uh, in the first game in Philadelphia where there were so many emotions and they've had this kind of playoff intensity to it and being rookies or young players in, in Robinson's case it seemed like they might not be able to hold on to that kind of 
you know, grit and intensity, and, and they might not be able to handle the challenge of such intense emotions. Uh, in tonight's case, they wound up taking some bad shots early on. In fact, the first couple of possessions were a really, really bad shot from Nunn and another one from Myers Leonard that uh, they should have totally knocked down. Duncan missed a couple shots as well. And then eventually things kind of settled down. They really got into a good groove and they provided some really great scoring. And, uh, and, and for Miami, they just did a fantastic job. Again, to knock off Philadelphia, to hand them their first home loss, a great, 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 great game. So much excitement there because it, it seemed like it was going to be a bad loss. With that 12-point deficit early on in the game and Miami having no real flow to their offense, they looked like everything was plugged up. Uh, in, in particular, they had seemed to unveil the same type of defense that they did the first time around where Joel Embiid kind of sagged off Bam Adebayo a little bit. And so he didn't have the ability to make the same kind of passes and make the same kind of plays that he had for his teammates as he has so often during the course of the season. Instead, Adebayo figured it out. Again, that, that lead slowly chipped away. And then Miami was able to build a lead of their own. They did finish the game shooting. Let's see, exactly 47% from the field, 40 of 85 from the field, uh, 12 of 31 from three-point range, and they hit most of their free throws, 16 of 20 at the line, good for 80%. They also converted 26 assists on those 40 made field goals, so getting back to some of the same offense that we've seen early on in the season, but that looks so shaky in recent games, particularly against Memphis when they weren't playing particularly good offense. They did a phenomenal job of trying to limit uh, the, the Sixers' three-point shot, they finished only 12 of 39 from three-point range. Early on, it seemed like they were just on fire. Tobias Harris looked like he was just unstoppable from three-point range. Eventually, he cooled off to just two of six. Joel Embiid got a taste early on of the three-point shot, and he wound up taking five three-pointers, missing four of those. Josh Richardson, uh, he had two three-pointers late in the game, but he was one of ten before that. I mean, one of eight before that, so he obviously struggled from behind the line. Uh, and, and Miami played the kind of defense that they have so often where it's just limiting three-point shots and not necessarily sh affecting shots at the rim, although the zone defense really threw off uh, the Sixers and their flow of their offense. In fact, they wound up leaving Joel Embiid open for much of the game, just kind of tempting him and letting him feel comfortable taking a shot, and it worked, although he finished 8 of 19 for the, the, uh, the field. Remember, he hit those two shots at the last minute of, the, of play, so he was just 6 of 17 before that, not particularly good. And, uh, and Miami just seemed to have a really good grip of when to use his own defense. I know some, some Sixers fans and even media were complaining about the use of the zone. But, uh, you know, Stan, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, who was the color commentator for ESPN, uh, was watching the zone. He was a little surprised that Eric Spolster was using it as much as he did. But it's just something that Spolster has done pretty regularly and, and used pretty effectively. And it threw off Philadelphia completely. They didn't know what to do with it. Uh, they just didn't have a response for it. Uh, there's questions about whether or not this is sustainable, perhaps. But for now, against a good Sixers team that, again, was had not lost at home, Miami was able to unveil it, put in a few wrinkles there, and really challenge what they do so well. It took them out of their element. And uh, Eric Spolster, for one night anyway, particularly, I think, did a great job out-coaching Brett Brown, who has had some limitations in the past. He hasn't exactly always made the right decisions as far as personnel and, and plays and things of that sort. But Spolstra clearly took like a, a good advantage there, and he seemed like he had a pretty good understanding of what to do to knock off the Sixers. Look, I'm getting into the nuts and bolts here because I'm trying to capture as much of the game as possible and, and go down through the last few minutes. But if you didn't watch the game, 
do yourself a, a favor and go back and watch the replay somehow because it was very exciting. It looked really shaky at first. I mean, to see that first quarter and to think what this eventual lead would be and to see how that fourth quarter played out, you would never have had any kind of idea whatsoever. It was a completely different feel for the game. You went in there. Philadelphia's a good team, and you started to see all the size with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Harrison Richardson. Richardson being the shortest player on that team at 6'5". And so you have all this incredible length out there, and, and Miami obviously has had a problem in the past dealing with that kind of length, uh, particularly with the Lakers recently and other games against the Sixers as well when the first matchup in November. And it just started to seem like Miami didn't have much flow to their offense because of that Sixers defense. And you started to think, well, maybe this is going to be a repeat of that that previous game. In fact, when they had that 12-point lead, it just seemed like it was getting to that point where Miami might not be able to come back at all. But surely enough, they wound up chipping away at it, tightening up that defense, and, and doing things really well. Bam and Abayo had a really big night. 23 points, 9 of 16 from the field. And I'll be honest with you, Kendrick Dunn had a sensational night, uh, leading all scorers with 26 points, going 9 of 18 from the field. He had a number of big shots. Four of eight from three-point range, and a couple of those shots just seemed like had no chance of falling whatsoever. Uh, a couple of them at the budget, uh, at the buzzers, uh, late in shot clock situations, from about 28 feet the first time, and another one that was even further away that hit bank, and 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 I don't think none had any expectations of that falling. So better to be lucky than good sometimes, and it really really worked out for Miami on uh, again a big night to knock off the Sixers. And I'll get into the matchup between Bam Adebayo and Joel Embiid next. You're listening to Locked On Heat. If you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrap to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Locked On Heat on Twitter, and we'll share and retweet. Get into the player inside of the game in the next segment, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about the game and some things that really stood out to me. Again, that zone defense was, I think, the overarching just really t- takeaway from the game was how effectively Miami was able to incorporate that. Uh, on a night when they were missing a little scoring punch uh, because Goran Dragic missed yet another game, although Adrian Wojnarowski and others. Uh, Ira Winderman somewhat pettily kind of uh, mentioned that he had been reporting that Goran would, is likely to come back on Friday when the Heat hosts the New York Knicks at home. Wojnarowski um, from ESPN tweeting out that it looked like Goran was probably going to come back on Friday against the Knicks. Either way, uh, they were missing that scoring impact that the Dragon has provided so often during the season. They were also without Justice Winslow, who continues to struggle with back issues. Um, and, and obviously, they were without James Johnson, without Tion Waiters, Casey Opala, and others. So, uh, the same cast of characters, Miami only had an eight man rotation. Chris Silva didn't play. Uh, Udonis Haslam didn't play. And so, there weren't a lot of options for Eric Sprolstra, but. He rolled out Derrick Jones Jr. there, and he did such a good job. He's he's done such an incredible job of using his length in a way that I didn't really think. I, I know we saw this last year. We started to get a real taste of how good Derrick could be in a, a zone situation. He didn't even force any turnovers, although in the previous game he had, I don't know how many, like 10 deflections or something along those lines. Uh, and I'm sure he probably had something similar along those lines against the Sixers. Uh, he didn't necessarily force a turnover. But he just played really, really good, solid defense using his length. At one point, he even matched up with Embiid and kind of made things difficult for him. 
he might be wiry. He might not necessarily be heavy, but he, he certainly seems strong enough to be able to hold his own in, in defensive situations there. He uses his body well. He uses his length well to, to kind of challenge and beat. He kind of thrust his hips a little bit, if you can kind of picture what I'm saying, and, and kind of use his body to make things difficult for Embiid. Embiid, as big as he is, one of the bigger bodies in the NBA, just looked confused. He looked tangled. And it was just enough for, for Derek to kind of use his body this way to kind of impede uh, Joel's initial uh, progress there so that it, uh, somebody like Kendrick Nunn or Duncan Robinson could kind of come over and provide some secondary help. And, and he eventually had to pass out of the double team. So, you know, where while Derek Jones Jr. might not necessarily be strong enough on his own, he can do just as good a job for a limited amount of time until the double comes down and, and it looked really effective for most of the night. Uh, you know, that zone defense, I'm not sure if it's a gimmick. Uh, we started to see towards the end of last season, maybe that was just the personnel, that it wasn't something that was, you know, sustainable for over the course of the season. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade was a little older. Dion was a little out of shape. It was a different cast of characters there. James Johnson was playing significant minutes with Hassan Whiteside out there. You couldn't really roll out to the zone for, for a long period of time. This might be a little different. I think with, with the guys that are currently on the team, it masks a lot of their individual weaknesses. Kendrick Nunn can be more of a, an attacker using his speed and just kind of use that speed to close out on three-point shooters in the perimeter. They give up easier shots at the rim, but it, it kind of worked towards Miami's advantage against Philadelphia and uh, I think the personnel on this year's roster really lend themselves to this, this kind of defense. So while we're, you know, there may be questions about it later on in the season, for now at the very least, it's very, very effective. Um, I wanted to point out that Nunn and Robinson situation again because, again, it looked like they were going to be very, very shaky to start the game, but they stormed back and had some really, really big shots down the line. Uh, Duncan Robinson looked great, 3 of 9 from 3-point range. Finished with 15 points overall, had five rebounds, looks very active there. Uh, just seems to know what to do and is in the right place all the time. His constant motion really changes things from Miami's offense. And, and when he's when he's comfortable in hitting that shot, again, he was only 5 of 11, 3 of 9 from the floor, 33%. Not great by any stretch, but it just seems like he's a much more dangerous option there. And that kind of just throws the defense on their heels. As for Kendrick, I had kind of criticized him a little bit earlier on uh, during the game when it looked like he was struggling and he was kind of forcing some shots there. And and some people kind of got asked me, you know, whether or not none might be uh, available in exchange for like a, a superstar or a first round pick or something along those lines. And, um, you know, I just I started to see that a lot of the fan base really values what he does and overvalues, in my opinion, what he does. Uh, and, and maybe that criticism was, uh, you know, a, a little hasty because he wound up having a really big night. Look, I still think that there are issues with none sustainability as far as his scoring and things of that sort. But I'm going to dispel those for one night. He was sensational. Very, very confident. Very cocky. Hit that shot. Looked really good doing so. Got to the rim. Challenged Joel Embiid. Hit the mid-range. Hit the three-pointer again. As I said, four of eight from uh, long range. Uh, what more can you expect? He had four rebounds, five assists, so he was dishing the ball out as well as one steal. And uh, only one turnover. Finished with the highest plus-minus rating of any Heat player at plus 19 and 26 points to lead all scores. I also wanted to get into Myers Leonard's game a little bit. He only had six points, both of which were three-pointers. But 
it seemed like he was having more of an impact. And I'd have to kind of watch it. He did wind up playing more than his usual minutes. Uh, about 29 minutes is what he played in tonight's game. And he did finish like in uh, with six points. He also had five rebounds to assist. There's more that he can do. We started to see that early in the season. Then that kind of tapered off as, I guess, defenses started to figure out what his limitations were. And not that this is anything new. It's the same limitations that have dogged him throughout his career. But at the same time, he just looked a little bit more effective. I'm not sure it was because Embiid was a little slower because of uh, they don't have a legitimate backup center other than Mike Scott there. Uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of options off the bench. You know, for the the all the strength of Philadelphia's starting lineup, they might be just as weak uh, on, as far as their bench is concerned. They got Matisse Thybul that looked like an all-world defender uh, early on. They got Cork Max that was knocking down Cork Max. Sorry, uh, he was knocking down three pointers and kind of keeping everybody at bay. But Mike Scott had a bad game. Former Heat player James Ennis had a bad game. Uh, you know, they were just they were struggling there offensively, so they don't have much of a bench. But either way, Myers just looked particularly good in his 29 minutes. It just seems to make overall of an impact. It was nice to see after he's he struggled so much for the last couple of weeks. And uh, a good opportunity for him maybe to show Eric Spolster that he's capable of doing more. Uh, and, and then lastly, I did want to talk about that Embiid versus Adebayo matchup because they, they, they are such... <clears throat> different players like obviously Embiid is so much bigger so much more massive than Adebayo but Adebayo just to me anyway it seems like he knows just what to do uh, and to challenge Embiid in certain spots he, he seemed like again when Embiid was sagging off of him not allowing Adebayo to find those cutters with his incredible passing ability Adebayo just changed position around or was able to attack him at the rim he just was an active big body and it threw Embiid off defensively. Like, there wasn't as much as he could do. At first, I thought it was going to be the same thing as we had seen in the last November matchup. But instead, Bam seemed to figure it out. And he seems to be... It's something I'm going to talk about in tomorrow's episode. Stay tuned for that because it's a good one. But it's it's just... It seems like he's learning a lot even as the season progresses. He's still so young. He's only 22. And he's already shown so much this season. And yet there's games like this where you kind of start to see there's another step there there's another level of his development that he's capable of reaching and it's it's pretty impressive especially against an all nba player like Embiid, uh, who is a very good defender even though he's a little slower at times and, and you know always a little injury prone but Adebayo just seemed to really figure out exactly what to do against Embiid. He was able to use his speed and length well uh, attacking him at the rim putting up floaters kind of just little uh, uh, you know, mid-range shots there that would kind of keep Embiid from using his length to block the shot, and uh, it worked out really well. I mean, look, I, I think Bam was blocked a couple times around the rim. It's to be expected when you have guys like Horford and Simmons and others with their incredible length and, and defensive acumen, but at the same time, he did wind up still having a very, very good night. 9 of 16 from the floor, 23 points. Really great showing from him, and, and I think he's made a strong case, continues to make a strong case that he is a potential all-star even after he struggled against the Memphis Grizzlies the other night, this was a good bounce back for him. And uh, and I think it shows that, again, that he's capable of making leaps even in season, that he's capable of making, understanding new wrinkles to his game and, and incorporating those because he has that kind of talent. He is also that driven, and I think that's pretty impressive to see from a young up-and-coming star. Either way, I'll get into the player and stat of the game in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. 
you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' most passionate moments. They're great for all fans. So go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn, and then feel free to search the site for some great t-shirts. They have some great shirts for the Heat fans, from Dwayne Wade to Tyler Hero and others. Make sure you go and check it out. Again, that's BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. I made the plea last time, and I'll do it again. Please, we're trying to get to 200 reviews by the end of the year. That would be great. Just a good sign that you guys are appreciating the show. Leave comments. Leave criticisms. Use email. Use Twitter. Use the iTunes review. I just want to hear back from you to make sure that we're doing everything that we possibly can to provide the best content possible. But either way, uh, thank you very much for always listening and always supporting us. Uh, The stat of the game, 13.5. Derek Jones' scoring average over the last four games. I know maybe that's cherry-picking a little bit, but he had been working his way back from injury. Wasn't always as consistent a score, but he seems to really have taken it up a notch there. Uh, he had 17 against the Lakers. He also had uh, 15 against the Memphis Grizzlies, and albeit in a loss, but he did provide a little bit of that boost that Miami needed in order to chip away at Memphis's lead late in the game. And he had... 14 tonight as well. 13 tonight, sorry. So, in addition to his defense, he's providing some really solid offense, particularly from three-point range, where he's 46% during that four-game stretch, 6 of 13 from the floor. So, he, he's stretching the floor out. He's he's become a really good 3 and D player. So, I, I'm not sure. I know some people have talked about whether or not there's a role for Justice now. It's always good to have one more player that's capable of this, and I think Justice is still a better ball handler and playmaker, very obviously. Um, but Derrick Jones being a scoring option is something I did not expect to see. Uh, he's done a legitimately good job, and his defense has been stellar over this recent stretch. So hopefully it's something that we can continue to see for him throughout the rest of the season. Uh, the player of the game, to me, it's uh, Bam Adebayo, just because I think there was that kind of versatility and seeing his overall impact, seeing his, him make those adjustments against Embiid and Horford and others and making plays for uh, for all of his teammates. Uh, but to be honest with you, I also think that Kendrick Nunn had a pretty sensational game. So it's just a matter of taste. I can't take it away from Kendrick because his scoring was the difference. Maybe it was just, maybe he got a little bit lucky. Maybe some of those shots shouldn't have fallen, whatever. The point is that he was the one who was willing to take those shots during a stretch when Miami's offense had been really bogged down. And he probably carried Miami almost single-handedly. Uh, I didn't mention it before, but I'll, I'll get mention it again now in, in this segment. Jimmy Butler did not look good. Like, he struggled. And I don't know if it's the Philadelphia thing. I don't know if it's just him trying to do too much. He was 5 of 11 from the floor. He only had 14 points for the game. 4 or 5 from the three-point range. Just, he looked like he was holding the ball too long, trying to force it too much, uh, and he made some pretty bad passes. He wound up with four turnovers uh, to only five assists, so not his typical assist-to-turnover ratio. And he is 
my scapegoat of the game. It's unfortunate to have one because, again, the game was so good and it was so thrilling. And to be able to hold off a good team on the road at the end of a road trip, a pretty exciting, very, very exciting moment for, for the Heat. And I, perhaps their signature win of the season as, fun, as much as beating Milwaukee early in the season during an overtime game without Jimmy Butler might have been the signature game, or maybe even beating Toronto a few weeks ago was a good game. This might be the real defining moment for the Heat season, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe there's others down the road. Either way, uh, you know, Jimmy looked like he was struggling a bit there, and and that's – I'm not sure it's a concern yet. I just – I didn't, I didn't like some of the things I saw from him as far as holding the ball, making some really bad passes, forcing it a little bit. And I know, given Jimmy's personality and his approach all season long, I'm sure he'll change. I'm sure he'll tweak it just a little bit where he can get back to being his usual impactful self. But that was not the case against Philadelphia where he did look like he was struggling a little bit and just did not seem particularly... I don't want to say engaged. He just we, he wasn't good. He was a minus six from the floor, um, the worst plus minus rating of any Heat player. So tied with Duncan Robinson, which was surprising because I would have said that Duncan had a much more impactful and a positively impactful night. But Jimmy looked like he was struggling a little bit, and uh, I'm sure he'll bounce back because he's Jimmy Butler. Because maybe it was the Philadelphia factor. Who knows? But either way. The Heat are off until Friday when they take on the New York Knicks. They're back at the AAA, and I'll have a new episode up on Friday with SB Nation's Michael Pina to talk all about Bam Adebayo, so make sure to listen to that. But that is it for today. Great win again. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Ramil signing off, and thanking you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Wrap it up, dude. Um.